if all we're doing is ticking the box, and I took the good work ethic that I had from Christian science and kind of rolled that into Christianity for a long time. I have four kids. They're seven years apart from top to bottom, seven and a half years apart. So during some of those earlier years of my Christian walk, you know, I was still working. I was still works-based. Many of the cults and other religions, world religions are works-based, meaning that you have to do these 10, 20 things and hold to the law and attend church this much and receive communion this way or only, you know, follow these rules. It's, it's just prevalent throughout everything. And so if we apply that same logic to Christianity, we're missing, almost missing the entire point of Christianity, that it's a free gift, nothing that we can do to earn it, but that Jesus came and died for us and paid the, that cost of the, the sin that we, we have inside us so that we can be close to God. It's this most beautiful, most simple thing, and we complicate it and we add layers. And so some of those layers for my, for me were volunteering, overly volunteering, leading small groups. And I was on the worship team and I I wouldn't, I wouldn't change everything, but I would go back and say, gosh, you have a bunch of little kids and you're exhausted. Why are you doing all these things? And so that has been kind of an area where I've had to grow and and see that God has, you know, peace and he has rest for us which is very counterintuitive. Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God, how could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. I can't think of anyone who would intentionally sign away their freedoms to a dangerous sect or a toxic community. So how does one find themselves in this type of environment? And specific to our conversation, the toxic environment is with regard to a religious cult. And after talking with my guest, Lauren Hunter, who shares her story of leaving Christian science, I realized that it comes down to a very simple, unassuming entry. Christian science was the faith of her family. So Lauren was born into the teachings, the practices, and the beliefs. Family is key. People find themselves in cults, and just like people join gangs or enter into relationships that end up being toxic, because initially they feel like family, somewhere they belong, or at the very least, they want to belong there. And I've often said this, and I can't remember if I've said it in the context of a podcast, but when we look at society as a whole, our worries, fears, anxieties, or motivations to accept less than we are worthy of, 
to allow people to violate our bodies or our minds. You peel away all of the different choices that people make to cope and self-protect. And I personally believe that it can all be boiled down to one thing. We fear being alone, which I also think has to do with the way we were created. It's in our DNA to seek relationship, and yet nothing in this world will fully satisfy. So ultimately, relationship with God is what we're looking for. And that's because once we pass from here, our soul, the part of us that lives eternally beyond the need of this physical body, we face heaven or hell. God has created in us the desire to know him so that we might choose to live eternally with him. To avoid being eternally alone, separated from God, in other words, separated from love and joy and peace, separated from a place where there's no more pain, no more tears, is the reason why we have an innate craving in our DNA for relationship, being heard, seen, loved, valued, claimed. Not being alone is an incredibly powerful motivator for people to stay in destructive relationships, be that faith-based, dating, friendship, marriage, work, and the list goes on. Lauren talks about the red flags that you need to be aware of. And granted, you may not discern them at first because there is a conditioning, a soft build up to the actual abuse. But some of the ones Lauren touched on were things like the requirement to be obedient to the belief system or uh, maybe a specific person. Don't question authority within that relationship. Distrust outsiders. Shoulder any burdens that you experience and undermining trust in yourself. And after you hear all that Lauren talks about in this conversation, you're going to want to get her book, Leaving Christian Science. She shares more of her personal story and includes nine other people who share their experiences and why they, too, left the false faith. Each chapter addresses the various theological inconsistencies taught by Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of Christian Science. Lauren and her guests compare Christian Science themes such as matter, Jesus Christ, contagion, prayer, sin. And examining these inconsistencies provide a deeper understanding of the Christian faith that Lauren now pursues in freedom and truth. Let's get this conversation started. Welcome, Lauren. I'm looking forward to our conversation about your personal story of leaving a religious cult. And you share that personal journey along with the stories of nine other people who left that religion as well in your book titled Leaving Christian Science. So welcome. Thank you so much, Sherry. It's wonderful to be here with you. And I love, I love the topic of your podcast, just finding God in the circumstances that don't seem optimal. We all need that today. So thank you for doing this work. I think he's made the underdog story. One of the most amazing right? stories. Everyone loves a good underdog. All the yes. best movies, all the best stories. You're it's exactly a consistent right. theme, even through the Bible, even through Star Wars. So <laughs> <laughs> you're right. <laughs> Christian science is not one of the faiths that you hear a lot about, but I do know that the Christian part is misleading. So how about we start with you telling us a little bit about being raised in a Christian science environment? Because if I remember correctly, you shared it's not typical that someone finds Christian science on their own, but rather they're raised in it for generations. Definitely. So Christian science is a little known religious cult. And as we were talking about off offline, you know, the word cult is kind of controversial because people who are raised in a faith, they don't think of it as being something weird or something super different because you're usually together with another, you know, a group of people that you worship together and you do life together, similar 
as you would do in your, you know, a normal Christian church. But Christian scientists don't use medical treatment. That's one of the things they're known for. The founder of Christian science lived in the 1800s and her name was Mary Baker Eddy. She claimed she had an accident and went off to pray and had a healing of her ailments. And then from that was inspired by God to create this extra biblical text called Science and Health with key to the scripture. So her book attempts to explain the spiritual uh, level behind things in the Bible, not the entire Bible, but it's used as a textbook similar to Latter-day Saints. The Mormons have an extra biblical book, the Book of Mormon. Typically, a cult leader will have a revelation and they'll acquire or make up. We No one knows, right, how they get this information, but usually it's they were clunked on the head or lightning bolt or an angel appeared in Mormonism for Mary Baker Eddy. It was a spiritual experience that she had. And the story, as with most leaders of a group that the story gets erased and all of the complications and difficulties get omitted, and then you get this pristine, uh, heavenly kind of story. Um, And so we grew up not using medical treatment, but Christian science aims to align a thought with a spiritual understanding of God. They do not believe that Jesus Christ was God, both in flesh and in spirit. So similar to the ancient Gnostics, one of the original heresies that came about in the first century of Christianity, they could not wrap their mind around someone being both physical and spiritual and God, a human Jesus who walked on the earth, who was a fully man and fully God. That was, it still is, right? A very complicated thing to understand. It's only by the Holy Spirit that we even understand that. But so the Gnostics said that, you know, you could have special knowledge, but really this, the choice was either everything is spiritual and everything is material. And so Christian science says everything is spiritual and has a completely different worldview than a Christian worldview in that you are trapped in this system of thought where you're trying to erase materiality from your existence. So if you can imagine being a kid, you know, falling off your bike and scraping your knee or, you know, getting bit by a dog or having trouble at school with bullies, things, any of those problems, they're met in a loving way by Christian science parents and that they're trying to remind you of the things that you learned in Sunday school and tell you that, you know, God's love is perfect. There's a lot of perfectionism in that you're you're trying to correct your mind. It's actually a mind science cult. So what that means is your your trappings are mostly in your mind and it's not so much physical or situational controls by by the group. So as a kid you just sort of learn that you're it's subconscious. Your needs aren't really getting met. So you fall down or you have a medical problem or you ha- I had ear infections and you know, my parents were loving and they would comfort me, you know, snuggle and a washcloth, but we didn't go to the doctor. We didn't get vaccinated. There's a few provisions for eye care, going to uh, get glasses and going to the dentist. Those things are okay, but not going to a medical doctor for anything other than a broken bone. So it creates quite a complicated mental gymnastics that you have to do to live in the world as a physical person, but be constantly denying the reality of matter which is part of, it's baked into the theology of Christian science. Interesting though, because if she's claiming science, but science would prove matter. Yeah, the science is is meant to be used in a a loose term of 
um, explaining the Bible uh, didactically maybe would be a good way to say it. Um, but it, it doesn't, it, it really falls short of that even. Um, and really it's her own theology kind of overlaid on top of a few specific Bible verses that are plucked out of context from the Bible. In my book, Leaving Christian Science, I partnered with a ministry, which is the only ministry that reaches this this people group led by Katie Bimesh. It's called Fellowship of Former Christian Scientists. And she was, she was and is uh, a friend and a mentor and has been leading the way in ministering to existing and former Christian scientists for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for biblical Christianity. And so in the book, we have, um, in the back of the book, we have several appendixes. Number one, you may have heard this before, but all of the cults, the religious cults have terminology changes. So what they will do is take all of the normal Christian words that you and I would know from a Bible-believing church, and they would change them to mean something specific for, for said religion. So we have a Appendix, Christian science terms, terms, Holy Spirit, and even who Jesus is, she redefines, even who God is, she redefines, just to give you a little snippet of, of how she uses the names for God. She uses uh, Father, Mother, God. It was a term coined by Eddie in her interpretation of the Lord's Prayer. There's a spiritual interpretation of the Lord's Prayer that goes line by line and changes the essence of, you know, the most sacred prayer of Christians. Yeah around the world in every Christian denomination and has a spiritual interpretation of that. She also coined this this seven synonyms for God. So the definition of these seven synonyms for God that Mary Baker Eddy coined read, God is incorporeal, divine, supreme, infinite mind, spirit, soul, principle, life, truth, and love. So instead of God being defined as uh, Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh, there are spiritual terms for God. So it's it's a real shift, and it's maybe closer to an Eastern way of thinking about a deity, which is 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 very strange. So what what that leaves, and in my book, David Grinnell's chapter on prayer, his story, he he talks about God feeling, growing up, thinking about God as this nebulous vacuous, indescribable kind of jello, cosmic jello or something. So it's interesting because, you know, when I gave my life to the Lord, it, it happened so much intertwined with the physical, I was having some medical issues and I was 24 by this time and was married and had had a number of uh, physical problems that weren't getting healed. So having a healing is a very big deal and is kind of proof that Christian science works. So Christian scientists have pra- what's called Christian science practitioners. It's someone, a coach that you would call to get advice, but they are giving you Christian science theology and praying, praying for you. The prayer is different. He said it's aligning your mind with these spiritual principles of who God is and what our reality is, that it's not filled with disease or death or problems, but that our true reality is perfection and harmony because that's all God knows. So things that you would go to a practitioner, they would pray for you, and then you paid them a little bit of money, a therapist. But I was not having success. I was having, had a virus that wouldn't go away for a while. And then I had a urinary tract infection, which I didn't know what it was. If you don't get help for those, you know, you'd be in the situation I was in, which was writhing on the bathroom floor, unable to do anything. And my husband, who was not a Christian scientist, 
whose mother was an ICU nurse, he's, we are going to the, and scooped me up and took me to the ER. And that was where I really had a watershed experience because we were conditioned and taught that the medical establishment was no good, didn't help people, wasn't reliable, that, you know, people go into the hospital and they die. Or you might have a friend or two who has some problems with medical stuff and they have a phobia. And so it's almost that. Right. But really, it was all of this fake, false information by perpetuated by a whole group of people that had never been to the doctor. So when I had that experience and went to the ER and then, you know, I'm sure you've been to the ER before. It's filled with angels in human form who take care of you in such a beautiful way. And so I experienced this incredible care by my nurses and they pumped me full of antibiotics and within, you know, and pain medication. So within just a few hours, my pain was alleviated. They were able to tell me what was wrong. They pumped me full of antibiotics and I was able to go home, I don't know, six hours later, a new, you know, revived person. Right. And so that experience was just mind blowing to me. And here I had been struggling and struggling and struggling. And I had also been asking, you know, non-medical, just general faith questions. So at that point in in my career, I had left, I was in high-tech public relations in Silicon Valley, California. And I had left the agency where I started after college and God plopped me in this company (laughs) called Christianity.com was the name of the company at the time. God has such a good sense of humor. And I was suddenly working with basically a whole company full of Christians of all different denominations. And I had the opportunity to ask a lot of questions. When you're talking about going to the ER and for six hours, that's serious that they're trying to get you stabilized in order to send you home with a UTI. Well, feeling better because in the midst of having a UTI. Did you ever have a conversation with your parents? Because I'm sure they invested everything that they were in you. And then you're coming to this place of questions and things aren't adding up. Did you ever sit down with your parents? And if so, how was that received? Yeah, they they lived in another state at that point. So I I had been living on my own since about 19, sort of a unique situation. The only school I applied to go to college to was Principia College. Principia is the only uh, Christian science college in the world. And it's in Elsa, Illinois, which is very close to St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis, Missouri also has a K through 12 school called Principia as well. So they're the only schools and boarding. There's a high school boarding school and then the college that are sort of a Mecca for Christian Sinus. And so I went away to school and came back after a quarter. It wasn't the right fit. And I was too far from my boyfriend who became my husband. And it, it was another one of God's mercies because I was trying to do everything right. I really have always had the desire to do things to the best of my ability to honor God with my life. Early on had this sense of wanting to seek God and seek truth. So, so that was undergirding everything is I was really trying to seek truth in all the things that I was doing. I honored my commitment to the school, even though by the time I was leaving my now husband and I had been dating fast and furious and I was like, I don't want to go away. Well, you have to, you committed. It was expensive. And I, I, made up a plan that I would come back and go to San Jose State University of Studying English and called my parents, kind of broke my mom's heart that I was leaving her alma mater and 
came home, but my dad says, oh, that's that's a good plan. You know, he's thinking of with his pocketbook, probably it's like right. $2,000 of tuition for the year instead of $30,000. This is in the 90s, you know, <laughs> so, okay. uh, it was a lot of money. So I came back and my dad worked for the federal government and they moved them to Texas. So at that time, my parents did not, they lived in Texas and I lived in California. And so I'm sure that I told them what was going on, but you know, there's a, there's just kind of maybe a lack of communication when you share something big that it's, it's tough. It's hard for parents. It doesn't matter what, what religion, you know, I'm at the age now, my kids are 2018, almost 16, almost 14. Well, you know, they, they, you have to let them make their own decisions. They have to come around. They have to search for truth and come around to it on their own, no matter what they've been taught. And we want that. That is the natural progression of becoming a follower of Christ. You have to, you have to grab it for yourself and and put the hat on, you know, put the cloak on and make it your own. And so it looks a little trickier, I think, when you're leaving something that is not quite Christianity because, you know, it's more complex. There are more, more, more holds, more ties to that belief system. There's, there's lots of controls in most cults and and some have better controls than other in terms of information control and behavioral control. And Christian science is, is pretty light in those areas. It's sort of left to subjection, you know, your subjective, you have what Mary Bigardy taught, but she did not leave any provision for any changes. Basically, she said in her manual for the mother church, which is the in Boston, the headquarters of Christian science, nothing can be changed. <laughs> so, you know, how we feel the Bible, nothing can be added or subtracted from the Bible. Well, she sort of adopted that for Christian science. So it didn't leave any room for any interpretation or any changes, which means things become antiquated and out, outdated. So, you well, know, that's it's a good, no small thing. That's a good point to make right there that the Bible hasn't lost pace with the world today. People would say it has, but that's only if they don't really know the Bible and exactly how to apply it to life. Because you can read one verse in different phases of your life and it speaks to you differently. Absolutely. In different ways. When we come into different knowledge as whether we get older or whether our, our faith matures or whatever, then we do have a better understanding. And so I would think something Eddie wrote would be outdated for sure. And then earlier you mentioned something about the mind. This Christian science was basically about controlling the mind or at least challenging the mind to think about spiritual, but not material. So it's, isn't that really where the battle for our faith is at is in the mind. And that where they say that 18 inches from the head to the heart is the longest distance as far as finding truth and making sense. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great statement. It's so true. I forgot who said that the 18 inches, but yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to look that up. That's a beautiful quote. Yeah, so so what happens is people sort of get trapped in the trapping, so to speak, when you're raised, you know, and I was a fourth generation, actually found out my dad said there's one additional generation on his side of the family, his dad's side of the family that I didn't know about before the book published. So five generations on one side. I mean, that's long enough to lose any generational memory of anyone's previous religious leaning. So, I mean, my grandmother converted, his mother converted from Methodist when she was a young adult because she had some 
phobias to medical. And she was a soloist and would go from church to church singing in all the churches. And when she came to the Christian science church, kind of learned about the zero medical treatment that sounded good to her. So she converted and left her family's faith. But, you know, when you've been raised some in a way for so many generations, it's really, really hard for people to pull away from that. You know, rightly so. I mean, I, you know, we've raised our, our kids and baptized our kids and Christian and, you know, I hope they don't turn away from that, but, you know, it's interesting coming out of something like that. It's you, you hold things in tension, maybe a little bit better having done a lot of hard work to, to leave something that was passed down generally, generationally, but it's, it's for sure complex and one of the hardest things that you'll do. And, you know, as a parent, I have compassion for my own parents in the difficulty that it is to be uh, going through that process. One of the reasons I ask you about that is because when you go against the narrative and we're seeing that today, even in culture, it'll cost you in some way. And, and, and so I'm thinking about the intimacy of family, real life, not just throwing out a scripture about, well, you leave your family and you cleave to God kind of thing, but no, there's a real price to pay. So what has it cost you leaving Christian science? Initially, so when I, when I gave my life to the Lord, I was, I was on fire for him in a lot of ways. And it was, it was wonderful, but I was quite zealous and, you know, had conversations with, you know, my parents and my aunt and my sister and, you know, a lot of different friends and, and looking back to, to give, uh, give advice to people who are leaving something or making a drastic change that it's much more palatable to speak when, when spoken to or weigh in when someone wants to know what's going on versus coming on strong. So I did learn that the hard way. Um, but what's happened over time is the ability to speak into that place for a lot of people. And the book, it was, it was the hardest thing, you know, other than marriage, which is very hard, right. And full of full of lots of challenges that are both rewarding and difficult. You know, this, this book project was an incredibly difficult thing, enjoyable in the process of writing it, but the difficulty came when it became available and then having to speak about Christian science in a different way that I hadn't been used to doing, because to this point, I really didn't, I really didn't talk about it. I really didn't write about it. And so it became coming out of the cult closet is what I, I called it. So you have some family members that react uh, strongly and that provides some difficulty, but, but more than anything, even though things were very difficult, I would say the opportunity um, to talk about Jesus and who he is in the Bible, those opportunities have been numerous. I'm not naturally good at evangelism in the sense that Christians often feel a pressure to go and tell the whole world, you know, I can tell my story of how God changed me. The, the, the main way that I share my faith is through my story and what God has done for me. And that's, that's the legs under my stool. And so I, I'm careful not to tell other people what they should do or command, you know, say commanding things in coming out of doing recovery work, coming out of a destructive group, which is another phrase for a cult. Often we have the tendency to think about the world in black and white. Um, and so you have either it's, it's white, meaning um, this is the way you're supposed to do it, or it's 
not the way you're supposed to do it. And in reality, there's a lot of gray. And even in, in Christianity, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that, you know, yes, this is the way to find salvation in Jesus Christ, but then there's so many other things that are left to interpretation. Um, and so being okay with that gray area and being able to say, this is the one thing that, that the Lord has impressed upon me that, you know, if we confess our sin, which Christian scientists deny their sin, they, in the scientific statement being, it says there is no reality in sin, disease, or death. So if you spend your entire life denying the existence and reality of sin, like you've missed the boat right there because Romans 323, uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When I came to that scripture, you know, that's not one used in Christian science. I came to that scripture and your mind explodes. What? This has been here the whole time. I'm trying to seek the Lord. And here he's saying that every person has sinned. It's just, it, it rocks your world. So only the Holy Spirit can kind of allow you to see that. Yeah. So we often will say it's a miracle that anyone breaks out of a group that to find the one true God who is in the Bible, who came in the flesh as Jesus Christ. And what was his purpose? Like, why did he come? What was the whole point of it all? He came because of that sin that we each have. And that's that's the separator between us and God. And so you can't align your mind to a principle enough to cover that gap where sin is and where disobedience and going your own way is. So I kind of describe the gospel story maybe a little bit differently so that someone from a person with a Christian science background can maybe understand that and grasp that, but it's really only through the Holy Spirit that they can really see it. So praise God that there, there are so many more other people than just the 10 in the book. Yeah. I'm one yeah, of the that's 10. Good. When I think about the struggle that's going on in your mind and trying to make sense of what you know, and then what you're trying to learn and then it colliding, what would you consider the darkest part of your journey to Jesus? I would say just the mental side that it is, if you've come through, whether you're, you know, you have a history in Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness or Scientology, which I didn't say that at the beginning, a lot of people get Scientology and Christian science mixed up. And Scientology was founded by L. Ron Hubbard with the book Dianetics. And there's not a lot of religion aspects to that. That, but it is a cult, definitely. And Christian science uses the Bible and believes in God, but changes a lot of the terminology we talked about before. So I would say that for me, the hardest thing has been the mental game, meaning self-doubt, you know, second guessing, second guessing yourself or your decisions or feeling sad or depressed about the relationships that sort of aren't you're not on the same page with people. So that that has been probably the most difficult. And then another kind of slice of that is that because of the way that you're indoctrinated to do things and believe things a certain way, you're sort of working against yourself unless you, and this is true of you know, a lot of things that we think, whether you're brought up in a, a destructive group or not, but those things, unless you have a, a partner or a friend or a therapist or someone close to you who sees some of those threads of Christian science that are still in you. You know, often people will say you can take the person out of Christian science, but you can't take the Christian science out of the person. So you have these remnants of things that you learn, um, one of which is denying emotions. You know, in Christian science, you're trying to align your thought to these spiritual principles. And so you are ignoring 
your body's um, emotions as you go through things. You're ignoring physical sensations and symptoms. You're ignoring your boundaries and your personal needs. So there's a lot of overlap between dependency that develops and dysfunction that can develop because of that. So I would say that those things you're marking the things that I need to undo, I, I think that will be a lifetime of undoing. And again, it, you know, working with instead of against the Holy Spirit to mold you and shape you and change you. So that willingness to be, I'm doing a, a, a little study on you version about hearing from God and Lisa Turkhurst just talks about obedience and that sense of being obedient to the change that God wants to do in you. We all can, we can see it coming. If you, if you can't see it coming, you're not paying attention. Right. Mm-hmm. But this, you know, the, the story of your show, the finding God in our pain, it's, to me, that is probably a good description of the Christian walk. Yeah. When you're thrown challenges, when you're thrown pain, emotional pain, physical pain, relational pain, what do you do with that? Are you obedient to God and how he wants to shape and mold us and teach us? Do you, do you ask those self-reflective questions? Lord, what, what do you want from me? How do you want to shape me? How do you want to change me? I want to seek you. I want to know you. I want to be your beloved daughter following your will for my life. So that coming under the authority of God is so essential. I, I don't, this, everything happens for a reason or God, God will never give you more than you can handle. Those, oh, yeah. those things are typically not helpful because how often is our pain? If you have chronic pain, I have chronic pain. I got, I got long COVID a year ago, two deaths in the family last year. I have just had the kitchen sink thrown at me at various, right after I was saved, even I had brain surgery. I lost my job, the job at the Christian company. I was a dot-com and it went out of business. And then, so you're, you're often picking through the rubble, trying to find those threads of God, how are you working and how are you blessing me despite this pile of rubble? Right. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. I, I'm um, laughing because it's, I, I do occasionally say, okay, how, haven't I had enough? <laughs> right. Can I? call a timeout here. <laughs> right. A minute ago when you were talking about you have to ignore emotions and physical manifestations of illness and stuff. And I think, wow. And yet life is full of physical ailments and when, and the body holds on to trauma if we don't release it. And then what happens? Then you end up with illnesses you can't explain or things that are going on in your body that the doctors can't explain or give you cures for. And so that's very interesting in itself that you're that fight. It just seems like there's fights in, in many different ways, whether it's mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, that can be very exhausting, I would think. And then the other thought is, A minute ago, you said that God doesn't give you more than you can handle. I absolutely reject that. But what I do put in place of that now is that God never allows anything that he does not plan to redeem. So with God, we have redemption. If we turn these things over to him, we get to experience his redemption. So that's the light for me in situations where God has most certainly given me more than I can handle. That's a beautiful way to say it. Absolutely. (laughs) Love that. Did you find that there were a lot of checklists to keep you good with God? Because even in Christianity, we can do our little checklists. And you recently wrote an article about checklists and what we need to be careful of uh, when it comes to using them. Can you share a little bit about that article? 
love that you, you found that on my website. Um, I, so I'm a writer, obviously I have a couple of books and I've been freelance writing for a long, long time. I, I love themes and we'll look for themes in different ways. And so I, I'm also, I love productivity and, you know, all those great self-help books and the trappings sometimes of those books are that, you know, you can work your way to X. You can work your way to efficiency. You can work your way to maximum productivity. You can work your way, applying it to religion, to salvation. You know, if you do these 10 things, you can be close to God or you can find peace. And so even within the the Christian moniker and doing some research for that article, it's funny. I found a bunch of articles that were, yes, 10 things you can do to be a Christian, you know, 10 things you can do. And oh, if all we're doing is ticking the box and I took the good work ethic that I had from Christian science and kind of rolled that into Christianity for a long time. I have four kids. They're seven years apart from top to bottom, seven and a half years apart. So during some of those earlier years of my Christian walk, you know, I was still working. I was still works-based. Many of the cults and other religions, world religions are works-based, meaning that you have to do these 10, 20 things and hold to the law and attend church this much and receive communion this way or only, you know, follow these rules. It's, it's just prevalent throughout everything. And so if we apply that same logic to Christianity, we're missing, almost missing the entire point of Christianity, that it's a free gift, nothing that we can do to earn it, but that Jesus came and died for us and paid the, that cost of the, the sin that we, we have inside us so that we can be close to God. It's this most beautiful, most simple thing, and we complicate it and we add layers. And so some of those layers for my, for me were volunteering, overly volunteering, leading small groups. And I was on the worship team and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change everything, but I would go back and say, gosh, you have a bunch of little kids and you're exhausted. Why are you doing all these things? And so that has been kind of an area where I've had to grow and and see that God has, you know, peace and he has rest for us which is very counterintuitive both to American culture and to church really, because look how many people it takes to, to run a church. And so, you know, it's, it's not bad to volunteer. It's, it's good to volunteer, but not at the cost of your mental health or your physical well-being. But so back to the checklist, you know, if we, if we just stick with applying the rules and regulations, we're missing the point of Christianity that there is so much, blessing that God has for us in stillness and quiet and, and not being productive at all and being in his presence. Um, and that, that has been a big shift. That's kind of maybe come more in the transition to a midlife zone, kind of calm down a little bit from all that striving in your twenties and thirties. And wow, you can fight it or you, you can embrace it. Wow. This is, this is a new level of peace that I didn't know yeah. I could have. And COVID helped with that too. You know, when COVID knocked all church volunteering and attending, I mean, I really struggled with that because I was definitely checklist number one is get to church on Sunday. And so 
that was really hard for me. I have a super big kind of heart struggle and would binge watch church services on YouTube. You know, <laughs> it's like, calm down. I was like, can you just watch two instead of five? Right. You can go to laurenhunter.net <laughs> where I have many blog posts, but you can find that checklist Christianity blog post. The article. Okay. Thank you. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Back to a little bit more to the struggle because it seems overwhelming to me. And so I'm hoping to kind of pin a few things down where God really did a transformation because I know that it's, well, I guess I should only speak for myself. Usually it's little by little. God is so gentle in the process. And so you're coming into these experiences where you've been into the ER now and you've experienced something that was not what you had been told it was. You have healing in the body and then you've got other situations where you're starting to really question and and finding out truth. What was the revelation? What was that tipping point that caused you to make this change in faith or caused you to to definitively leave Christian science? Because even when I say that, I know that, that we mature in Christianity. So maybe it wasn't as stark as I'm trying to make it be, but at what point did you know that Christian science was something you would have to leave behind. Yeah. So looking back, I can see the different signposts and it it felt as though a spell had been broken for me when I was able to turn and give my life to Jesus. I I had mentioned this previously in this interview that I had been at this company surrounded by Christians while I was on the phone with an editor. We were talking about getting our Bibles on our Palm Pilots. So that will date me. This is year 2000, (laughs) 2001. And so the Palm Pilot was the predecessor to the modern mobile phone where I, you know, it, it connected to the computer and you could put apps and things on it. And I had asked this reporter that I was talking to as we're having this kind of casual conversation, do you know any way to put the King James version on the Palm Pilot? And he's King James version. Why do you want to, why do you want the King James version? What religion are you? And I said, well, I'm a Christian scientist. And he's, oh, well, you need to, you need to go over to this website. It's christianway.com, the previous and first ministry that sought to educate Christian, Christian scientists on the ills of Christian science and the true God from the Bible. So I, I was, okay, okay, thanks. So the internet is a few years old. You didn't think naturally to go to the internet for everything we do now. Oh, Google it. You know, we all now naturally just ask, ask Google or Alexa to search the information or go to your AI chatbot or whatever. Um, so I went to the library. That's that was my source. So I did go to this website, Christian Way. There was a number of uh, women who ran this ministry. I called her and talked to her. This is after I went to the library, but first I went to the library. It's a Friday afternoon. I checked out every book I could find on cults, checked out books, Kingdom Kingdom of the Cults by Walter Martin was one. And there were several others, I'm trying to think of the name, Why We Left a Cult by Latane C. Scott. That was another book that detailed, um, it had two stories from Christian Science, Jehovah's Witness, and Mormonism on people that left. I had never to that point talked to anyone who left Christian science, heard of anyone leaving Christian science. I was very bubbleified, if you will. Um, we're taught also not to go outside of the Christian science publishing books and resources. There's a Sentinel and the Christian science newspaper. So you're not, you're sort of taught not to go beyond those things as a protection for your 
spiritual journey, if you will. But as soon as I started reading these stories of people who left, it was the connection between the things that I was experiencing in my own life and then the things that I was reading other people go through, it, it snapped in my mind. And so I, I also, part of my story is that um, I grew up in Louisiana and went to private Christian school. The school systems was kind of bad at that point. And so if you could afford it, you went to private school and there were Catholic private schools and Christian private schools, not so many charter schools that are now. And I went to, I think it was Disciples of Christ or something, but it was an evangelical Christian school. So I had heard for five years, you know, been to chapel. The things didn't make sense to me as a child. I was okay. I was singing these songs, but I don't, you know, I didn't square it up and nobody ever talked to me specifically to say, well, this is what Christian science is. And this is what the Christians believe. It was just kind of layered on top. And so Fridays, our teacher would lead us in the sinner's prayer at the end of the day. And I remember bowing my head and you know, just kind of listening and not really understanding what it was all about. But when fast forward to my 20s, reading all these books from the library, and all of a sudden, it's, I um, synergized that information that had been implanted in my mind from my youth, and it worked together. And I was, this is what, this is what it was all about. And it's the neurons were firing and just connected those dots. Um, and there were so many gaps in, um, in Christian science that, uh, were unexplainable that it, it just happened. It just was a magic spell, spell being broken all of a sudden, or the scales falling from your eyes or Paul, you know, experiencing that. So it was one of those moments where you can't really put it into words exactly, except that my heart softened and had just a mega about face. My husband worked retail. He was gone a lot that weekend. And um, when he came back, you know, a lot has changed and, you know, was able to describe what, what happened. But I mean, basically I was just super humbled by everything that I read and got on my knees and asked the Lord to take over. And I said, I had heard the prayer. I, I, I had been invited to church with some friends that were at Assembly of God Church. I had a moment of experiencing the Holy Spirit there in worship that I'd never experienced before. So it was all of these different things that kind yeah. of played together to lead up to that moment mm-hmm. of salvation. I said that there, there's been so much that's happened since then, but for me, um, the way that I was able to define truth was this incredible salvation experience that God had prepared for me. And it took a long time to get to that point. Um, And there certainly have been uh, times of trouble and pain after that point, but the change in me and my outlook, and I I mean, I I was never, will never be the same. Well, have always been blessed by that experience. When you look at the stories in your book, the 10, well, including yours, it's 10. Is there a common theme about the biggest obstacle to overcome and to leave Christian science? My book is organized differently. So the stories are not arbitrary. They're each, they each open with a, there's a, a heading. So for instance, the first chapter is matter. So I mentioned that Christian scientists work to deny the existence of matter. There's a sub heading, not mortal mind or error. Those are phrases that describe matter in Christian science, not mortal mind or error, but actual reality. 
here and now. So for each chapter, there's a theme and then a little subtext that gives you a sense of what we said in Christian science, but what it actually is in reality as now. And so there, and then each chapter has a different theme. And the goal that I set out to to do was to orient each person's story organically as it came out of their story around a theme. So there's matter, the body, God, sin, Mary Bakeretti, Jesus, prayer, the Holy Spirit, contagion, and the Bible. And those may not sound like they make a whole lot of cohesive sense to an outsider, but to a Christian scientist, those are hitting all the major points of contention between what Christian science teaches and what Christianity teaches. The biggest obstacle I would say is still the deity of Jesus Christ, that we were taught in Christian science that he was a way shower, capital W, the highest form of man on earth that God sent him to demonstrate these principles. That is a lot different than God sent his only son to die for us so that we would have a renewed and restored relationship with God the Father. So there is no sense of you can't have a restored relationship with God without Jesus in that in Christian science you you don't need Jesus he's just a good example. So that still remains probably the most diff- difficult hurdle for people to wrap their minds around. In most of the the cults there's not much room for doubt or questioning. So you're, you're kind of spoon fed all the answers to things. And if you don't understand it, it's your fault. Mm. So this is a common thread that I've seen throughout every cult I've read about. Most recently, I read Troublemaker by Leah Remini, who left Scientology and was super encouraged by her, by her book. And there were so many things that she said that resonated with me as a Christian scientist. So things she she even said, something, you can take the Scientology out of a person or take the person out of Scientology, but you can't take. So that the trappings, again, are mental and mind trappings that keep you. So that again is another. So the deity of Christ, I would say, and then the trappings of a bad theology that you're trying to undo when you've been, I mean, there are people in our ministry who raised their children in Christian science and left in their later years, retirement years. And each person has more than their fair share of struggle with, with leaving, but it's, it's the, the difficulty in interacting with relationships. It's very multifaceted. It's very complex. Yeah. This thought just popped up. It, Is it typical for teen rebellion to enter the picture with regard to following the Christian science faith? Typical of Christianity, teenagers may rebel and leave the faith, even if temporarily. That seems to be God's heart, though, that the door is always open. He's not forcing anyone to stay, and it's a free choice of whether or not we'll receive and return his love and affection. Is that something that's common in Christian science, or is it kind of shut down because, I mean, there's still children within the family? Yeah, I would say that it's not... It's not super typical, but it is It is more notable that there's just a slow drift away because there isn't, there isn't a youth group. There's not a lot of youth activities. There are a bunch, there's three or four different Christian science summer camps. So I went to Camp Cedars for seven years and was a counselor for the last couple of years. And you just have people kind of drift. It's not so much angry or betrayal of the faith so much as it's just not really 
palatable to young people. I mean, the service is very boring and very quiet and there's still organ music. And we said she didn't put any, Mary Baker, didn't put any devices in place to change much of anything. So the service that you go to today is the same as it was in the year 1900. So there's just kind of a slow drift away, I would say, that it's more that, or you might have people that find a different non-Christian faith system, something Eastern or unity or Unitarianism or something that's like Christian science, but not not as disciplined as, as Christianity. So there's, you know, everybody under the sun, but it's it's similar, I would say, to to families who raise their children Christian who maybe just drift away for a bit and they might return to it in their older years. When you think back, what was your biggest question for God? So my biggest question, well, I should say the thing that I recommend people to do, which is something that I did myself when I was seeking the truth, was to ask God to reveal the truth to you. Ask God to reveal himself to you. And so I prayed that for myself as I was trying to make a decision. And I felt that was a good piece to share with others that searching for truth and and praying for his wisdom and guidance to guide you into truth is one of the best things that you can do. Because if you're listening, if you get still, if you get quiet and you ask those questions, he will answer you eventually, maybe not fast. So keep pressing in and keep um, trusting. And that's where, you know, you're going to get things thrown at you. Painful situations, relationships, somebody who wants to break off a relationship because you're questioning Christian science and that's not okay to them. It's going to be, it's going to be hard. And that, you know, it could be whatever faith system that you're wrestling with, ask God to show you and guide you and trust your intuition and your ability to listen, but you, you have to get still, you have to get quiet. You have to read your Bible, even just open your Bible and put your hand on a verse and just ask the Lord to, to teach you one thing from the verse that he's revealed to you. Simple things that just pressing in and listening, I would say mm. best advice. I'm not even sure if this is possible because it really seems very large to me. But from your perspective, maybe you're able to do it. So I'll ask the question. And we've looked at this topic through several different lenses. But is it possible to give an overview or sum it up? And I'd say in a a digestible way, maybe. I don't know if that's even the right word, a digestible way. But looking at the bondage of Christian science and the freedom of Christianity when they're looking at the two, can you give me one or two, maybe three of the things of the difference between the bondage and the freedom of Christianity? Sure. I mean, in in an alternate faith system, the bondage often looks at that checklist of things that you have to do. And if you follow through with that checklist and you check all the boxes and still your problem isn't alleviated, you have no one to blame but yourself. You know, those systems point the finger right back at you. So I, I was under the impression that if I prayed If I sought a Christian science practitioner, if I tried to align my mind to the spiritual principles in Science and Health by Mary Bigaretti, and I wasn't having relief from my physical ailments or my problems, whatever I was going through, that it was my lack of understanding that was responsible. And so um, that is garbage. 
If you are in a belief system that doesn't work, something is going on. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily if you're a Christian and you're seeking the answer to a problem and it doesn't come immediately that that's garbage. I don't mean that, but God teaches us through the pain that we go through and through the situations that we go through. But in a system where you're constantly to blame, I mean, in Christianity, if you're, if you're not, you're praying for healing and you're not seeing it, or you um, have a relationship that isn't healed, we don't typically stop praying. We keep praying. We, We press on to know the Lord and we we say, Lord, I don't know why you have me in this spot. I don't know why there isn't resolution, but God, I know that you are here with me and you are giving me peace and you are sovereign and you are fully in control of everything. And so I just release, maybe, maybe what I want isn't what you want, God. I don't know. But so those are the types of things that, that I feel are very releasing and very healthy and promotes a healthy religion is one where we don't know all the answers. I'm not God. How do I, I don't know God's mind. And so there is so much freedom in that. So if, if you bump into, or you attend a church service that seems it's, it's all good. And you bump into that, you must do it this way. Exactly right. Or it's your own fault that things aren't working. That is a huge red flag that you're not in a Bible-based Christian church. There is a lot of freedom in God's truth. He never asks us or requires of us to act nothing's happening or that our emotions aren't valid or that our pain isn't real. He will take your hand and walk right through the middle of it with you and shepherd you through the pain and share his truths in the midst of it. And so that's one of the things that I love about him. It's one of the things that really led me into a deeper intimacy with him through my my difficult time. We're getting a little close to the end, but I, I want to change gears a little bit because your story and the stories that you share in your book, Leaving Christian Science, is yet another reason why I say story makes the world go around. I know people say money makes the world go around. I say story makes the world go around. And you've just published another book that is a step-by-step guide that helps people write their personal stories fast. And I that. And the book yeah. is titled, Write Your Journey. Tell us a little bit about how my listeners can use that tool to let other people know that they're not alone in their pain and suffering, whatever that pain and suffering might be. Absolutely. I'm sure that probably every person you've had on this podcast has uh, a super interesting story for how God has used pain and suffering in their lives. And so my book, Write Your Journey, the, the emphasis is on writing a slice of your life story. So not a comprehensive birth to later years, whole life story. But what happened was with the interviews that I did with Leaving the Christian Science, I had some people after reading the book that would say, oh, I want you to write my story. I was, well, you can write your own story. Let me teach you how. And so this book is a is a short guide. And I have my my coaching voice on in this book so that readers can feel as though I am there with them to guide them through the writing process. So the book's goal is to help isolate common themes in your story for maximum impact. So that could look telling a family story or a faith story or a career story, any number of, of topics. You know, if you, maybe God has really used chronic pain or used an injury. So that could be the theme of your story. And then it helps you capture the essence of your unique writing voice. 
that it follows three act structure to help you create an impactful life story. And so I walk the reader through it's kind of a workbook style with some helps, places to write and journal in the book. And it helps you use your story to bless others and then give some tips on how to share your story within your family, within your community and beyond. Um, so that was kind of my goal. And, and the goal also is to be fast. So I go through outlining, drafting, editing, and completion fast. <laughs> nice. Both my books are available on Amazon. So if you just type into that search bar, write your journey or and or leaving Christian science, they will pop right up. That I love this book because it speaks to podcast episode that I did titled Your Story Matters. And so I'm going to use the link, your Amazon link to that book and put it in that particular episode so that people will have a resource to go to, get it and write their story because I think it it, it matters. People's story Thank matters. You. Story makes the world. Yeah. Go and another thing that's developed is I, God has called me to step into author coaching. So I am working with several new Christian authors who have the, the common thread is their story in their life. Definitely pain, <laughs> experiencing pain um, has uh, given them, God has given them something that they want to share and teach to um, others. And so I'm coaching these authors through weaving their own personal story through the book. Um, and so if you're listening to this and you're interested in that, um, please, please reach out through my website, laurenhunter.net. I'd love to find out about what your story um, is, learn about it and see if I can help you develop that story and turn it into a book that will bless other people. A mighty tool, a mighty tool and that we get to testify to who God is in the reality and the midst of pain and suffering. I love that. Two questions as we close up. Is there anything that you'd like to share that I have not asked you about yet? Hmm. You have asked many good questions. I don't think there's anything in particular, but one thing that comes to mind is often I'm asked, you know, how would you talk to a friend, a neighbor, a relative who maybe is in a destructive religious group that is not Christian? Um, and so I would just give a word of encouragement there, be praying for them. That's number one. I had a lot of people praying for me that I didn't know about. I didn't know they were, they were Christian. They knew I was not, and they were praying for me for years before I came to know the Lord. And it wasn't until I came and told them that they were, I've been praying for five years, you know, so prayer number one, and then, you know, speak and ask. But an invitation is a is a wonderful tool, inviting someone to come to a concert or maybe not a church service initially, but a concert or an event or social, you know, it's baby steps. And a lot of times with ministering to people who are in a cult or destructive group, it's it's a long, long game. So it's not quick. It's not overnight, but it's it's a lot of drops in the bucket over many years. So just be patient, be steadfast, hope in the Lord and and just keep praying for them. Pray that God would open the eyes of their heart. That's one of my favorite worship songs, old worship songs. And I would just sing it out loud and pray for people, you know, that I, I don't, I have skin in the game, but I'm not responsible for changing people's hearts. Only you are God. So that would be my advice. I'm so impressed with the fact that you don't do some sort of expose on how horrible Christian science is, but rather you love 
on the people and you want the truth for them. And so that comes across very clear, very strong. If our listeners only remember one thing about our conversation today, what do you want their takeaway to be? My author tagline and website are journey together. So this journey that we're on, whether it's out of something into something else, in my case, you know, God is always taking us by the hand and leading us to another spot, whether that is a better understanding of him, hopefully first and foremost, you know, we all want to grow in our understanding and walk with the Lord, but that, that growth and that openness, having a growth mindset of being, being teachable, that is so essential in your journey of where God is taking you. And I don't know, I find a weird happiness in that the journey is not over. You know, most, most people want to be clear. We want to know where we're going. We want to have an executable process and the checklist, right? But life does not work out that way. And so the quicker you can pivot and, and accept that life is one big giant journey that we are on together with him and with the people around us, the happier you will be and the more peaceful you can be. And that that checklist is never, it is never going to be complete. And we should be okay with that. We should be happy with that. We should embrace that because the second you're done with everything, what do we have to live for? What are we here for? That's a good point. We are on the journey together. Yeah. On the journey together. And hearing you say teachable spirit, or being teachable. It reminds me when I sign cards for couples that are getting married, young couples, I say, take the time to discover your spouse's heart and keep a teachable heart. And so it makes sense that we would keep a teachable heart with our groom as well, that we would learn from him as the journey unfolds with him. So Lauren, thank you so much for your time, your energy, and your wisdom today, and your love and affection for those in indestructive groups. So thank you so much, Lauren. Oh, you're welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.